Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, we talk road safety. Gone are the days in general where you have specific road safety officers these days. We still have a few of those around and uh, it's great to have them. But I think with the changes in priority and different policies coming through, the way that funding has disappeared for specific road safety roles, it's now a role that might include four or five other activities. We've worked with Transport West Midlands on a really pioneering road safety initiative over the last, I'd say, six to nine months to equip 10% of the Uber City sensor network with near-miss analysis. We chat to a regional safety manager from the West Midlands and someone who's delivering solutions to make our roads safer. That's on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ITS UK, Elkrig, ADEPT, and the Transport Technology Forum. Darren Dival, Regional Road Safety Manager at the West Midlands Combined Authority, and Flora McFarlane from Viva City to come after we've caught up with some of the must-read stories on Highways News from our site's co-owner, Adrian Tatum. Wiltshire Council is investing millions of pounds into filling potholes, resurfacing roads and tackling the causes of highways flooding throughout the county in 2024-25. Council is allocating an extra £10 million over the next two years to spend on filling potholes and a road resurfacing programme that will help prevent potholes and other highway defects across all areas of the county. The investment will also fund more small local repairs to verges on rural roads. This funding is in addition to the £20.7 million the Council receives from the Government's Highway Maintenance Fund, plus the £5.2 million from the Department of Transport's recently announced road resurfacing fund following the cancellation of HS2. Bus services in the north have been cut by more than 30% since 2010, more than the rest of England. The impacts of bus service cuts have fallen disproportionately on low-income residents, disabled residents and carers, according to Transport for the North. The report Transport and Social Exclusion in the North 2023-24 reveals that more than two in five disabled residents, carers and low-income residents in a range of areas in the north of England are facing social exclusion because of inadequate and poorly performing transport systems. And finally, the RSC have reported that highway maintenance has fallen to an all-time low, resulting in 3,366 fewer miles receiving any kind of improvement work, according to the RSC analysis of new government statistics. It says that 764 miles of A roads were strengthened, resurfaced or preserved in 2022-23, a 37% decrease from 1,222 in 2017-18. For minor railroads. roads, The numbers were 3,380 in the last financial year compared to 6,288 five years before. This is a drop of 46%. You'll always be up to date with the big stories from the industry if you check the Highways News website, our X and LinkedIn pages, and as long as you're subscribed, our daily email, which comes into your inbox every lunchtime. Swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software-as-a-service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day. So let's talk the road to Vision Zero this week on Highways Voices. Now with so many years of falling fatality rates on the UK's roads, this has all pretty much plateaued over the past few years. So we're upping our efforts to change this and technology can make a difference. 
difference. Flora McFarlane is Head of Growth and Partnerships at Viva City and joins us this week along with Darren Dival, Regional Road Safety Manager from the West Midlands Combined Authority. And I started by asking Darren, what does his job entail? My role is all about enabling facilitated and supporting the strategic planning, creation and delivery of road safety within the region. We have 16 partners and we're all working collaboratively together. And as the combined authority, working within the combined authority, it's about making sure that we can build capacity, that we've got a strategic approach, that we've got very targeted actions. And as the lead coordinator for the strategic partnership, I try to coordinate all of those activities and uh, and facilitate activities that help everybody deliver that. But also some elements of delivering on the ground work as well. I know that whenever you speak to any authority, they will always say safety is the number one priority, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always a balance between road safety elements, the need for people to move around quickly and efficiently, and also the budget constraints that are there. How do you kind of balance all of those and manage to fight your corner as far as safety is concerned? Well, gone are the days in general where you have specific road safety officers these days. We still have a few of those around and uh, it's great to have them. But I think with the changes in priority and different policies coming through, the way that funding has disappeared for specific road safety roles, it's now a role that might include four or five other activities. We've had to realise that you can't just say, I deliver road safety. If you deliver a road safety initiative, it usually impacts on something like congestion management or air quality and so on. And a good example of that is the moving traffic contraventions, where you're trying to improve safety by enforcing, from a civil enforcement perspective, drivers who undertake banned turns or sit in yellow box junctions. But actually what you're also doing there is you're reducing the number of incidents. So, And when you reduce the incidents, you then reduce the potential for congestion. So that's a way of managing that you also then by reducing congestion free up the road network and you can have a more efficient public transport system and then because you've got people who aren't sitting there in an idled car with their engines running you're actually impacting on air quality as well so it's recognizing that whilst safety is a very very core component of the transport policy network we also impact on what other the policy objectives are as well and they also impact on what we do by what we're doing so we're not as specific as we used to be and that that means that that funding and the resource uh, levels that we used to have historically have changed and changed with the the need to have that multi-policy approach really and what is the approach is the approach driver education is the approach technology enforcement carrot and stick how are you actually approaching making this work? We approach road safety here in terms of everything's evidence-based. So we look at the data, we try to figure out where our themes are, where our problems are, and, and that's understanding the what and the why before we think we know what the solution is. Okay, So it's a very diagnostic approach. 
what's the problem? Why is that problem occurring? And therefore, how do we undertake some engagement with that that audience that's involved in that, those that are most at risk, those who might even be causing those uh, incidents to happen on our network, and use that to inform what the solution is. You can't change behaviour if you don't know what the behaviour is. You can't increase enforcement of speed limits until you know what the reason is why people are speeding. And it might be that that's a behaviour issue. It might be that it's an infrastructure issue where we don't have a very uh, well-designed road for the speed limits that we've got or that we've not got a self-enforcing environment. So it can be a mixture of things, but the evidence drives everything. And that's how we get to understanding what it is that we need to do going forward. Let's bring in Flora McFarlane now, Head of uh, Growth and Partnerships at Viva City, because listening to what Darren was saying there, Flora, and the the evidence and understanding what's happening on the roads, what are you doing to actually help authorities deliver that understanding? Darren made a, a really good point about looking at the data and being able to kind of diagnose and inform based on what the data is saying. And that's where we come in with the work that we've been doing with the Transport for West Midlands road safety team, just to give a bit of a, a background as to what technology Viva City provides. We are providing sensors that are continuously monitoring the road space and able to see everything that is going on. We can identify lots of different types of road users, vulnerable road users, vehicles, and provide insights and analytics based on what's actually happening at real time and uh, sort of before and after safety interventions. Now, what that means is that we're able to continuously see levels of road danger as well. So we can see interactions such as near misses, problematic passes, dangerous left turns or right turns at junctions and provide that data to the likes of Transport for West Midlands to understand, okay, well, where, and it's a horrible phrase, but accidents waiting to happen. Because we've got a big problem, I think, in the industry, and I don't think anyone would find this too controversial, but our approach to road safety data or metrics is pretty flawed. We're looking at lagging indicators such as killed or seriously injured events on the road network, and we're not able to point towards, well, what what is almost happening? And what what don't we see? It's kind of we see the tip of the iceberg with tragedies and victims of, of road danger, but we don't know how many times did this almost happen. And the real tragedy there is knowing that potentially there is data available to take action before the worst happens. So my role and, and the team that that works with the likes of TFWM and, and larger regional transport authorities is we have a wide network of um, monitoring. We have a wide network of data available already on things just like usual traffic monitoring, you know, understanding road user counts or speeds or Darren alluded to moving traffic contraventions, understanding are there issues of turning left or right um, and congestion. And we're able to add to that an insight of, okay, well, where is there also road danger? So we've worked with Transport for West Midlands on a really pioneering road safety initiative over the last I'd say six to nine months to equip 10% of the Viva City sensor network with near miss analysis, which means that, as Darren said, they can look at the what's happening, kind of work with partners to understand why and then act on it. 
Okay, let's rewind a second and explain to me about the Viva City Road Sensor Network. What's it doing? What else is it being used for? And is it specific stuff or is it kit that can be added on software-wise on top of existing legacy systems that authorities might have? The easiest kind of way to think about it is we've got eyes on the road. GDPR compliance, very much so. Privacy by design, eyes looking at the road space in fixed locations, but using AI, using the ability to identify if uh, something moving as a cyclist or a vehicle, provide insight and analytics on that. So that's used across the UK for things like being able to say, you know, with the COVID bike boom, did we see an increase in modal shift? Did we see more people cycling as a result of the great investment that was put in in cycle lanes, for example? Or are we seeing a reduction in congestion thanks to certain network management policies? And so so the power of AI and all of that is that we're continuously training. It's our um, own proprietary algorithms. So we work directly with the local authorities to provide them with what they need to learn more about what's going on in the road space. One of those things being how, how are different road users impacting each other? We can see if they're getting close to each other. We can see how fast they're moving. We can see if that's happening at a dangerous rate based on a lot of investigation that we've done with the industry, with research institutions, with the likes of TFWM. And then we're able to classify if something is a near miss. Um, we do that on level of severity because you can have some near misses that, you know, I'm a person who cycles in London. I know that I could get close to a car and it won't be particularly dangerous but it's still something that indicates perhaps there's not enough space on the road for me and that driver. But you've got some near misses that are incredibly severe and could be a leading indicator of an incident that would happen that would actually result in a hospital visit or tragically a death. Do we have any idea of how many near misses you will probably get before you get that catastrophic crash? Do we get a sense that actually it is really, really valuable to be able to see that quite often things will nearly happen before they actually do. Yeah, I think this is one that Darren and I can probably answer both because on our side, we're able to identify where in the road space is the nearest happening. And that's quite a helpful indicator. It's kind of a hotspot of danger in the road space. So that gives you a proxy of, okay, well, if it's happening in the middle of the road, then it might be that point of, you know, someone actually overtaking pretty dangerously. If it's happening in next to the gutter or next to the pavement, then that's a different question. And that that's where the sort of diagnosis comes in on Darren's side, where it's understanding, well, what what is the data actually showing us? Is this going to lead to something that's really severe and we need to really consider design or behavioural change? Or is it something that I think we, we mentioned in sort of safer road training, like what's what's a level of acceptable incidents, I suppose? The approach that we take in road safety is a systematic approach. You know, we call it the safe system. What that requests us to do is to be predictive. So we try to be, we try to predict an issue based on uh, risk exposure before an incident happens. And um, you know, the Viva City sensors uh, that are being used in the projects that we're working uh, with is allowing us to be predictive in terms of good tellers, for example, that at certain locations, cyclists are exposed to high levels of risk because there is a high proportion of 
HGVs, for example, in that area, or speeding motorists. But um, what we get from the sensors is the understanding that that's happening. So we've got the what's happening, the why it's happening is that we we then maybe bring in some other data to support that predictive approach, and that might be looking at speed data. It might be looking at traffic flow data. Uh, but then we also want to know why people are operating that way as well. And we might be able to see that from the sensors, but actually engaging with that target audience is also really important for us because then uh, we can promote the fact that there is a problem uh, to those that might be involved in that in one way, shape or the other. From that, we can get their views as to what they feel would be useful in solving that. Even those that are involved in increasing the risk because of the, either the way that they drive or they're operating on our network, you can actually engage with them really positively to make them aware of that because they may not have realised the awareness of that because maybe they've never cycled before or uh, walked along that particular route. You can understand maybe why it is that they're operating in that way. And then, okay, so if we're going to go through behaviour change, it doesn't have to be an infrastructure change every time. If we're going to think about behaviour how do we change that behavior? What is it that those target audience uh, samples uh, believe that it is that we should be doing to change that? And we've used that in a number of projects, one which was around uh, seatbelt usage, where in one location in the West Midlands, non-seatbelt compliance was six times greater than the national figures. So we went to that target audience we talked about what the data was telling us we showed them what was happening we then talked to them why they thought it was happening figured out what the why was and then from that worked with them to understand what the messages were that could change that behavior and since then we've seen a massive increase in seatbelt compliance so people wearing their seatbelt following that campaign because they've been engaged in it and they you were raising awareness so that starting point of the what which is what we get from the sensors we get from other uh, technologies we get from other data as well is is allowing us to uh, to start that process off and then predict what is happening but what could happen and then when people say you know uh, say to us which they do it's an accident waiting to happen this location and by the way we try not in the road safety world now to say accident yeah that's what we're trying to educate it's about it's a collision it's a crash we're trying to get people to change that terminology it's not an accident it does create some significant harm uh, to people is we're trying to predict where that's most likely to happen and then allow us to act on it accordingly with whatever intervention is right from our perspective, technology that we provide the industry is a kind of step change in what has previously been used in that previously we've relied on kind of short term surveys to understand you know, what's going on in this space. Has there been an improvement? Have we reached our objectives? Whereas the Viva City sensors are designed to provide long term monitoring. So we've had sensors up in the West Midlands for two to three years now. And what that gives is the ability for that behaviour change to be seen over time. So you can kind of point towards understanding, OK, we've introduced these initiatives we've kind of engaged with the community and we have seen a meaningful reduction over time because I think with the transport industry it's it's for those who aren't as passionate as probably us three are it feels like oh it just takes so long to see change and it you know there's no real benefit to really changing my behavior or that kind of new infrastructure that was put in place but that's what showing what is going on 24 7 over the course of months years can point towards it actually does have a meaningful impact. 
you, you are correct there, Flora, you know, that ability to be able to monitor and evaluate consistently because we have that, we have those sensors there, we have that technology in place that's told us the what, told us the why, allowed us to predict and understand what it is that needs to be done and then develop that. But you always want to try to find out what impact is that intervention that we which we put in place? So monitoring and evaluation is really key because that helps us understand if if it's working, if it needs changing, uh, if it needs stopping in some instances as well, and then ch- and, and starting again. Yeah. Um, but without, we'd never know and understand how how good that data and uh, and, and our interventions are. And Darren, Flora talked about the fact that for so long it's all been reactive. You know this now surely is a game changer if you can actually step in before it happens. Yeah, absolutely it is. I think to some extent, the reactive approach through collision data, casualty data, is always going to have a role to play. But to some extent, the the ability for us uh, to be more predictive is, is an absolute game changer. It's, it changes the landscape of how we need to do things as, a, as an industry in road safety. And as I say, it might be something that relates to other policies as well. But, you know, safety is is a core priority for us in the transport arena. So to be able to get on top of that before we find ourselves with a with a rising um, a casualty uh, record is, uh, is, is something that we all want to just embrace as a partnership, not just at TFWM. Uh, Flora, I mentioned at the beginning about budgets and obviously, you know, it'd be great to have every yard of every road in the country covered by sensors so we can see exactly where the riskiest places are and do something to preempt it uh authorities might be listening thinking this is great but i can't cover everywhere how would you approach an authority area that wants to understand the risky parts of its road network by using this technology regarding the strategy or the approach to gathering this kind of data, you can come at it from a few ways. One is that pure diagnostic approach where, you know, we speak to local authority folk all day, every day, who kind of know that it's difficult for them to prioritize what they're hearing is dangerous across their road network. They're continuously getting comments, requests, feedback on this stretch of roads. I've I felt really unsafe on here as a, as a cyclist or, you know, crossing this you know, I had a near miss or something. It's so hard for them to understand, okay, well, what, how do I, I have limited budget. How do I deploy some sort of monitoring at best, but change as well um, with the limited resources I have. So what we've done with some authorities is look at their KSI stats 19 data and say, look, this is, this is where you've got the current kind of lagging indicators of where there are issues. What you can do is you can validate those and see if it's near misses that are contributing to them. And if it is, then you know that that's kind of your your um, approach for the rest of the network, where you see high levels of KSIs, you have an assumption or, or a view that you've got a high level of near miss. That obviously can feed in either to widespread design improvements just across a certain number of sites that you know are dangerous, or it can feed into applications for increased funding opportunities to actually investigate this further. The other thing that you can do, and I think Darren touched on it at the beginning, is this kind of integrated approach where previously you've had not road safety as a silo, but road safety seen as sort of someone's job. 
now it's baked into everyone's jobs and, and the schemes that you're putting out across the network. Understanding, you know, the beauty of the Viva City sensor is it's one piece of technology that can give you traffic monitoring. It can also give you near-miss events. Uh, stretch, it can also give you signal control. But thinking, what else can I do at this point to understand the level of road safety and then act on it once you've delivered that scheme? We used to have specific budgets all around road safety. Now it's all just part of the highways budget. The highways budget is always at risk because authorities are always facing bigger and bigger social care bills, for example. So how do we approach the budget to actually pay for this and to make our roads safer and to use fantastic technology that's been invented by the industry that can actually deliver that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I feel very strongly on because I just don't think that the industry is incentivized or set up to actually kind of put a real price on road safety across the boards. It puts a price on road safety of the the things that we really don't want to see happen, of the tragedies of the people whose lives are changed because of road violence. But it's not baked into sort of cost-benefit ratios as much as it could be on schemes that are designed to improve road safety as, you know, a byproduct, like 20 mile per hour zones. We know that they have to have an impact on road danger reduction. It's statistically demonstrated that being hit at 20 miles per hour means the difference of life and death. But being able to isolate, you know, funding for those sorts of schemes or for, dare I say it, low traffic neighbourhoods or any sort of just design improvements can actually be called out further. It can actually have a sort of what level of road danger reduction are you anticipating to see as a result of that? And then you can start pointing towards the benefits of, you know, investing in increased road safety across the board. Um, You know, DFT stats um, and Treasury stats point towards, I think, 4.4 to 7.4 cost benefit ratio for some of the, the biggest road safety schemes that we've seen over the last few years, the kind of top 50 most dangerous roads that received a lot of road safety um, funding last year. Why aren't we seeing that in, in every point? Why is it just related to A roads where, you know, it's just as just as important to make sure that people feel safe moving around the streets? It's a really tricky question because when we talk about budgets uh, and about resources to deliver road safety, we're also always talking about actual hard cash, aren't we? And Gone are the days of building big infrastructure to try to solve problems. I think we've got more than enough infrastructure. It's about now making the right infrastructure and reallocating road space for the needs of of all road users, but particularly those most at risk of uh, death and serious injury. Um, But what we don't always do is then refer that back to, you know, for example, Department for Transport's average value prevention figures. So at the moment, the value of prevention of a, of a road casualty is £2.2 million. It's £218,000, I think, for a serious injury. When you talk in those figures, it should be quite easy to develop a business plan that demonstrates the rate of return that you're going to get and therefore the need for certain levels of investment. And maybe we're not good enough in the road safety world at producing those business cases that demonstrate that and we need to get better at it uh, because then we understand what the what the priorities are and what the objectives are. We understand what data we've got. We understand the commercial elements, the financial elements, the rates of return and so on to ensure 
that we can demonstrate the benefit of investment. Instead, what we're doing is we're constantly um, constantly trying to find ways of eking out of that whole transport pot, a, a proportion that could come and support road safety. And that is needed. The other way that we can actually do things is, is by influencing. We've got the City Regional Sustainable Transport Settlement funding out at the moment, haven't we? And uh, for until 2027, I think, for the first tranche of that. That's a pretty substantial amount of money going on transport schemes around, certainly in, in, in the West Midlands, around our region. What we've tried to do is build capacity and understanding around what the road safety issues are, what the safety priorities are and how we have used data that either is the reactive data but moving away from that and being a little more predictive and understanding the needs also of our road users to demonstrate the need for scheme designers to build in road safety interventions that obviously cost money and therefore is part of that budget but then also quantify that post or during the actual delivery of the scheme. So if you've got a £2 million scheme and you've spent £100,000 on specific active travel but safe active travel infrastructure intervention, then that can be quantified quite easily in terms of what we're spending. And then we influence that then as an industry and a, and a group of practitioners and, uh, and professionals. And then you sh we should be using that to demonstrate how much we are collectively funding road safety interventions. We've got 16 partners in the region. Some are charities, but we've got seven local authorities. We've got the combined authority. We've got West Mids Police, West Mids Fire Service. We've got the Motor Insurers Bureau. All of these partners in their way are contributing to the funding of road safety activities. It's that we don't necessarily have a central strategic part for the partnership as a whole for us to work on. We've all got our own priorities and, and, and what our requirements are. We need to bring that together and then demonstrate also that there is funding available and we should be a little bit more coordinated with that moving forward. I think that was a very well made point, especially calling out the the role of partnerships, specifically the police. It was interesting with the road justice report released, I think towards the end of last year, there was a big, big focus on the role of the police in addressing and improving road justice across the UK. And I felt like there was potentially not so much of a focus on how there's a partnership between transport and highways authorities and the police to make sure that you're acting on preemptive data, as we've talked about today, rather just trying to learn from what's happened. And I think when we've seen the plateau of road safety statistics in the UK over the last five, 10 years, it's kind of not acceptable anymore just to be relying on acting on what's happened. It's got to be, what can we prevent? Darren Dival, Regional Road Safety Manager from the West Midlands Combined Authority there, while Flora McFarlane is Head of Growth and Partnerships at Viva City. And they've given us really plenty of food for thought on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Adrian's accolades soon, but first let's catch up with our partners. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, Elkrig, Adept, 
the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. Following on from last week's hugely popular Highways Voices with Darren Capes, the Department for Transport has released guidance through the Transport Technology Forum to help local authorities and the supply chain with bids to win a share of the £70 million Intelligent Traffic Management Fund, the ITMF. This money, expected to be delivered in packages worth around £2 million each, is part of the £70 million funding of improvements to traffic signals announced as part of the DFT's plan for drivers by Secretary of State Mark Harper last October. You can find the guidance on the Highways News website. This week, Elkrig has welcomed Haas Alert as its latest associate member. Haas Alert builds life-saving mobility solutions to make vehicles and roads safer and smarter. Its cloud safety solution connects first responders, towing and recovery fleets and roadway workers with vehicles and motorists for real-time digital alerts that prevent collisions and improve road safety for everyone. Adept, in partnership with Amy, launched the Place Leaders pioneering action-orientated creative and entrepreneurial PACE programme in 2023. The PACE programme aims to create space for senior Place Leaders to find strategic solutions to wicked issues facing the public sector. This programme focuses on thought leadership and behavioural insights to increasingly important areas for highways and traffic management sector. Designed exclusively for place directors and senior leadership, two of the fundamental principles behind PACE is to influence the future of place-focused strategies and support place leaders in driving change. A regular blog is published on the ADEPT website where PACE participants share their insights and updates from the programme and the latest features Neil Gibson, PACE facilitator, who reflects on the first cohort of the programme. An ITS UK has issued an open letter calling for changes in VAT to support the rollout of demand-responsive transport. It wants a change in VAT rules, which currently mean transport authorities are incentivised to buy larger 10-plus-seater vehicles for DRT schemes, as smaller, more carbon-efficient vehicles have VAT applied to fares. This makes DRT schemes more expensive for local authorities, as it means higher Highways purchase, voices, operation and maintenance costs, and as well as reducing the environmental benefit of the scheme. Finally, let's leap back to Adrian for him to tip his hat to someone or some people doing amazing things in our industry. It's time for Adrian's Accolade. And my accolade this week goes to the team at Unix Traffic and Aimsum. Tees Valley Combined Authority has selected Unix and Aimsum to provide a traffic digital twin with the aim of improving bus service reliability and wider traffic management across its transport network. In industry first, the digital twin will use simulation and data analytics to predict future network conditions, allowing traffic management actions to be implemented either automatically or with the involvement of a traffic operator. And we always like an industry first on Highways News. That's why. Unix name some are worthy winners of Maracolade this week. And that'll do it for a busy Highways Voices, concentrating on road safety. Next week, we'll hopefully talk about a new curbside management scheme being launched in Westminster to begin to transform the way delivery drivers get goods to their final destinations. Join us then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 